Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp. And I'm Jeffrey Roach. Welcome to Microdosing, where we look at small specific things, such as a product, business, or person, that represents a bigger trend in healthcare. In this series, we'll be focused on the healthcare labor shortage, and I'm excited to team up with Jeffrey, who's a prominent leader when it comes to all things people in healthcare. Thanks, Paul. And some say it's not just a labor shortage, but also a healthcare labor crisis. In this series, we have a lot of wonderful conversations lined up that gets at exactly why this isn't just a labor issue, but rather a multi-dimensional one around employee experience, digitization of workflows, and new business models to make healthcare workers' lives better, healthcare companies more stable, and ultimately deliver better quality of care to all patients. We hope you enjoy. Hi, today we're joined by Keith Carlson, host of the Nurse Keith Show, uh, that offers up-to-date advice and knowledge for savvy 21st century nurses. Keith, welcome. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here, Paul. Awesome. I'd love to get a little bit of background about you. You've been podcasting and talking to nurses for a very long time. You're very much one of the voices of the nurse community, but would love to get a little of your background for the audience. Sure. I've been a nurse for 26 years, and I've focused mostly on public health and community health and home health for the most part. And over the last decade or so, I've been a nurse podcaster, a freelance writer. I'm a career coach for nurses and healthcare professionals and a keynote speaker. So I do a whole bunch of things. And podcasting is one of my very, very true loves. Awesome. Well, we'd love to get into this first question, which is just kind of how we how we got here. It's fascinating that there is a slice of the healthcare industry that seems surprised about this clinical workforce shortage, this nursing shortage. But I have to imagine this is not a surprise for people in your world, but would love to get your thoughts on just how we got here. Well, nursing shortages aren't new. There have been nursing shortages off and on for decades. I mean, they're always talking about nursing shortages, and they happen in various regions, in various metropolitan areas for different reasons. Now, currently, at this point in time, there are a lot of different factors contributing to nursing shortages. One is that the COVID-19 pandemic has just, just like dragged the nursing community through the muck and mire, especially those who have been in the ICUs, the COVID units, and acute care in hospitals. And staffing is one of those things that is driving nurses to actually leave the profession or leave the hospital because they just can't do the amount of work with the amount of patients in the amount of time that's allotted. So staffing issues are just... They are universal. They are the bane of so many acute care nurses' experience and existence. So that's a really big issue with staffing right there. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, I'm sure many people read articles or heard news stories about travel nurses. Mm -hmm. And people were up in arms. Even Congress talked about how much travel nurses were being paid to fill the gaps and crisscross the country. But you know what? We needed them and Mm -hmm. they deserve the money. And if that's what the market was paying, that's what the market was paying. It's not the nurse's fault. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we need to fill the gaps where we can. The other issue that isn't talked about a whole lot is that we have a bottleneck from my point of view 
in academia mm-hmm. because there are not enough nursing professors for schools to accept the number of students applying. Interesting. So that bottleneck occurs because one, professors are not paid terribly well. And schools use a lot of adjunct professors in a lot of circumstances who are paid even less. Mm -hmm. So there's not a great deal of incentive to become an educator because you can earn more in the clinical space, but we we need high quality, enthusiastic, well-paid educators in order to keep the flow of students going through the schools. So those are just several factors that I can identify just right off the top. Yeah, the academic one is fascinating because you need to be called into that space. And I would say, particularly in traditional universities, what some professors sign up for on the research side, they get excited. But if you're looking for people to teach, you need professors that want to teach and you need universities to hire them for teaching because the, the little interesting factoid that folks might not know is that if you're a professor at a university, you're there to write grants and actually be a revenue stream. And unless you're scratching the right itches to get the next generation of educators for educating, we actually have a little bit of a broken education system in terms of attracting the right nurse educators, which I never thought about that that compounding issue um, around the attractiveness for nurses to be nurse educators. Yeah. And I don't know the statistics offhand, but we can easily find it if we Google it, that thousands of nursing students are turned away every year. And I mean, nursing students or potential nursing students who are actually qualified. And that's because there's not enough space for them. So that's definitely an issue. We know we need a pipeline of enthusiastic people getting through school and graduating. And We who do have people graduating from LPN programs and associate and bachelor's and master's programs all the time, but I don't think it's enough. And I don't think the schools currently have the capacity in terms of teachers Mm -hmm. to be able to move those people through. That's one thing I see. It's one thing I hear. However, the staffing issues at the acute care bedside is a huge thing. And you read the statistics, you'll see things like, 38% of nurses planning to leave their job in 2022, or 42% of nurses surveyed have thought about quitting the profession in the last six months. And these are serious numbers and serious issues because nurses, the 4 million or so in the United States, and we all say they're the backbone, the lifeblood, the mitochondria of the healthcare system, and they're the largest segment of all professionals within the healthcare system. So without a qualified uh, army of nurses out there, the healthcare system can grind to a halt. And that's a scary thought. Keith, I won't call it a debate, but a dialogue that I've seen actually on LinkedIn from some nursing leaders that they're tired of seeing negativity uh, about these issues. Um, And I'm curious to get your thoughts when you frame this issue Um, How can you not be negative when we know nurses are really in dire straits at times when it comes to the workforce? We've seen some actually suggest the patient's safety is suffering. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of Pollyannish for people to say, let's stop being negative. Because for the nurses at the bedside who are burnt out, who are suffering compassion fatigue, who feel like they just can't go on and feel like they're 
running around like chickens with their heads cut off because of staffing issues and patient acuity, it's easy to say from the ringside, like, oh, stop being so negative. Um, there, there are positive things to share, and nurses do great work. And we have made it through the worst part of the pandemic. We save lives every day. There's lots of wonderful things to say about nurses in the nursing profession and the healthcare system at large. There's technological advances and electronic medical records and robotic surgery. There's amazing things to talk about in healthcare, and those conversations are going on as well. However, we also have to look at the basic bare bones issues that are sticking in people's craws. And when we come down to these staffing issues and patient safety and nurses feeling they can't do their job in the way they were trained to do, that's a really troubling uh report from the front lines. So sure, there's a lot of negativity because nurses feel they've been thrown under the bus. And I think that's that's very frustrating for a lot of people. So I have great compassion and I get emails and calls literally every single day of the week, seven days a week from nurses who feel like they can't go on. So I'm hearing it straight from the horse's mouth and it's quite upsetting. And I'm doing my best in my little corner of the world to try to assuage that. People feel that they can't go on. Mm -hmm. that, that puts a pit in your stomach. What are some other things that, that you would love to kind of clarify either myths or misnomers or just what is that kind of lens into that typical day in the life of a nurse that, that we need to amplify so people begin to appreciate this more? It feels like we're, we're afraid to talk about some really depressing and scary and um, I don't know how to define it, but when I get close to this issue, like my, my heart hurts, mm -hmm. but would love to kind of keep writing that thread on what we need to better understand this issue. There's so many factors to talk about, Paul and Jeffrey. I was just doing an interview for one of my podcasts with Dr. Renee Thompson. She's my friend and world-renowned colleague. She has an organization called the Healthy Workforce Institute, and she wants to get put out of a job because the Healthy Workforce Institute's mission is to eradicate bullying and incivility from the nursing profession and healthcare. And for the average layperson, if you mention nurse bullying, they, they'll rub their eyes and go like, what? You know, and if you talk to them about it and explain the circumstance, it's very puzzling to people outside of the healthcare spheres. And Renee and her team have no shortage of work of healthcare systems and hospitals where they're going out teaching hospital administrators and staff how to eradicate bullying and how to decrease incivility in the workplace. There's so many theories about it, but I think that scourge in the healthcare system and the nursing profession in particular is symptomatic of the fact of how people feel in the workplace. So that's one issue that doesn't get talked about a whole lot in the general public, but in the nursing literature and in the, the healthcare world, incivility and aberrant behavior are a big topic that is talked about on a regular basis. And that might be shocking to many people. Keith, it's such an interesting topic. If we could go back 10 years 
but as a nurse thought leader, what would you want to change that you feel would put us in a stronger position today if you went back in that time? One, I think there needs to be some kind of intervention. And I'm not big on government intervention in terms of telling industry what to do, but I feel like there can be government in based infusion of funds, funding for nursing education in terms of um, shoring up universities and colleges in terms of hiring high quality faculty and increasing the capacity of nursing schools to educate and graduate qualified students who can enter the workforce. I think we could do a lot on that end in terms of finding the bottlenecks within the educational system and opening them up so that we have a better flow and we don't have these bottlenecks of people who want to be in nursing school desperately but can't get in because there's just no space. The other one would be that this issue of incivility and bullying and aberrant behavior and harassment and intimidation, and if that could be addressed in a more on a more systemic level. I'm not quite sure how, but I feel like there are plenty of brilliant minds out there who could put their heads together and figure out ways to address this on a systemic level. And I feel like a lot more attention needs to be placed on, and again, I'm talking systemically on incivility, bullying, and aberrant behavior. How do we change the culture within healthcare? Part of it might be improving staffing, improving the number of people we have out there to care for patients so that there's less stress and compassion fatigue and burnout so that people don't turn on them each other. So we don't have internalized oppression rearing its ugly head and people starting to tear at each other. Sort of like when you have a boiling pot of crabs and one of those crabs is trying to get to the top of the pot to get out of the hot water, all the other crabs kind of grab it and pull it back down again. That's kind of what healthcare can feel like right now for people on the inside. It's a terrible feeling. So I feel like that also needs to be addressed. And also the staffing issue. There are varying conversations and opinions about staffing. California is the only state where they have a mandated, legislatively mandated nurse to patient ratios. Mm -hmm. Many people in California will say, oh my gosh, it has saved us. And others will be like, well, it's not quite the panacea that it seems. However, I hear a lot of reports from California that these staffing levels really help a great deal. And these were legislated at the state level. So there's plenty of things that could happen. And going back 10 years, I feel like some of what's going on now could have been prevented. That's great. Or at least, at least mitigated somewhat. We mentioned a lot of those concepts, and you just translate that to other industries, like in airlines, flight crews timeout. In truck driving, truckers time out. You know, we, we put limits on that. And even, I mean, it's scientifically proven. When your brain is tired, you're just a little bit more frustrated. Like, I'm short with myself when I'm tired in a room by myself. But when you get a group of people that have been overworked in a room and then ask them to be respectful, it's going against the DNA of our brains. So kind of building on that, what would be like one action that you would love to get more people to take? Well, for either lay people or healthcare providers, 
One thing is whatever you happen to understand about the healthcare industry, especially if you have a story, either as a patient, as the loved one of a patient, as a healthcare provider, as it, it doesn't really matter. Any kind of story you have, it is actually really important to share these stories with our legislators. We need our legislators to understand the issues. And the only way that legislators can actually understand what's happening in the country is if they hear about it. You know, here in New Mexico, we have, I think it might be the only volunteer state legislature in the country. They actually are not paid. And still, they're incredibly dedicated public servants. And, you know, when it's not legislative session time, you can meet for coffee with your legislator. So if you can meet with them, write them letters, um, tell them about your experience at the hospital, tell them what you observed or whatever happened to your loved one. And if you're a nurse or a doctor or a social worker or a chaplain, meet with them and tell them what's happening. You can also write letters to the editor, talk about it, say, talk about your concern about nurses' well-being, talk about your concern about safe staffing. There, lay people can feel quite um, impotent when it comes to issues like this. And to tell you the truth, healthcare providers can feel very impotent as well. And that's, it's a difficult place to be when we feel powerless. And there's, in some sense, there's only so much we can do. But on the other hand, there's a lot we can do. So I think first, it starts with conversation and stories, so that we can begin to understand what our lived experiences, and we can then agitate and advocate for what it is that we want. If we decide as a group or a society or community, what we actually want, like they did in California, for instance. So those are some places to begin. Keith, I love that. And uh, obviously as the son of a nurse, I always tell people that those of us that are in the healthcare ecosystem need to also, to your point, advocate on behalf of nursing. Yes. Um, For far too long, nurses' voices haven't been included in the governance process of our political system. Doctors' voices are always included. As a, my former CEO would say, who was a, a nurse CEO, would say, is follow the money of the lobbying and you see how that works. Mm-hmm. But appreciate your perspective on that. Recognizing that we're continuing to move forward with this issue and will obviously, to your point, continue to have uh, challenges, what would you say, if we could be optimistic, mm-hmm. 2033 would look like as it relates to the future of nursing? Hmm. 10 years from now, right? Well, I think we would have addressed this issue of incivility at the root. We would figure out partially what is happening in terms of why this type of negative aberrant behavior happens within the healthcare sphere. Um, And I think if we addressed these staffing issues and created a more humane workplace environment for nurses and other healthcare professionals, that would go a long way to stemming burnout and decreasing the levels of incivility and helping people feel like they're more in in control when they're at work and in control of their lives. We would have hospitals that recognize the humanity of their staff and actually they, they would run and operate from that perspective of looking at the humanity of their staff. It's like, well, you know, these 12-hour shifts that 
that elongate to 13 or 13 and a half hours for our nurses, what can we do about that? What are the best practices we can put into place so that nurses can actually clock out at hour number 12, not hour number 13? What can we do about the bottlenecks within the educational system? How can we get the, a better flow of nurses coming through our nursing schools and getting the education they need to enter the workforce? And what can we do to help develop nurse leaders, the leadership funnels that will help nurse leaders emerge in each new generation so that we can have fresh ideas and fresh perspectives? So, you know, the millennial generation right now is slowly taking the reins of power, and I'm actually quite optimistic about that generation. They are much less tolerant of, that's the way we've always done it kind of attitudes. And I think that there could very well be a sea change in the next decade based on the millennial leaders I know who are coming into healthcare and nursing and who really want to shake things up and change things for the better. So I'm actually holding a fair amount of optimism about these newer, younger generations of nurses and healthcare leaders who I think have the potential to really change things at a fundamental level. That's great. We love that framing. And um, as we wrap, I, I think I'd be doing an injustice if I didn't plug your own podcast. So if uh, you liked this conversation and would like to hear over 400 other conversations Keith has had with experts in the nursing space, go to nursekeith.com mm-hmm. uh, and you can get up close and personal with more perspectives like these. But Keith, thank you so much for taking some time and sharing your perspectives. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeffrey and Paul. And it's been an honor and privilege. And so thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to Microdosing. If you'd like more content like this, go to our website at md-pod.com. And that will triage you to all the common podcast platforms and social media pages to follow us. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.